Welcome to Freshwater Cleveland's Fresh Faces podcast. Freshwater Cleveland is an online publication focused on the people, places, and projects shaping and transforming our city. This podcast focuses on the first part of that equation, the catalytic talent making change in Cleveland. I'm Jen Jones Donatelli. For our first four episodes, we're featuring the creative, courageous, and resilient Fresh Innovators, a group of talented professionals recognized by the Cleveland Leadership Center and Freshwater Cleveland in August 2019. In this series, we'll be shining a light on the work these four Clevelanders are doing to affect change in our community. Today's Fresh Faces guest is Jackie Gillen. This environmental warrior works for Western Reserve Land Conservancy as the community engagement specialist for its urban program, Thriving Communities. She's also one of the founders of Black Environmental Leaders, a group designed to engage people of color in the environmental movement. In August, Jackie was one of four fresh innovators honored by Freshwater Cleveland and the Cleveland Leadership Center. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Much of your career has centered around environmental causes and issues. So what initially took you down this path and why has this become such a passion for you? I remember when I was a child, my parents always took us to the South and I always had this exposure to gardens and open space and and greenery. And then I had a garden of my own when I was in the fourth grade, when I was uh, at Charles H. Lake Elementary School, we had a garden in Mount Standish. And since that time, that the life of green space stuck with me. When I became an adult, or rather even before them as a student at Hiram College, Hiram is very rural, so that fed into that love of being outdoors and nature. And then finally, when I became a legislator, I had the awesome opportunity of communicating with the Sierra Club, which often brought issues to me around the environment that I could sponsor resolutions in support of. So the environment has always been the backstage of my life, all of our lives, in fact, because the environment is everything around you. You do a lot of work here in Cleveland with urban neighborhoods via your work with the Western Reserve Land Conservancy. And I know that you primarily focus on the Buckeye, Woodland Hills, and Mount Pleasant neighborhoods. So what does your work entail, and why do you specifically focus on those neighborhoods? So Thriving Communities is the urban program for the Western Reserve Land Conservancy. We have been conducting property surveys and advocating for strategic demolition of abandoned properties that have been standing for a number of years. The problem was enlarged by the foreclosure crisis, which aided in that abandonment. Consequently, the concentration of blight in the three neighborhoods that you mentioned, there are others as well, gave me a perspective on neighborhood revitalization that I never had before. When we first started going into those neighborhoods, I would dream about those abandoned homes. So you can imagine the impact on the lives and the minds of the young people and the elders and people that live in those neighborhoods that were redlined many years ago. It was by design that these neighborhoods, our neighborhoods, would not receive the investment required to sustain them. So now the work is really about getting rid of the blight, cleaning it up, and then greening it up, allowing for residents to acquire the land next door, 
keeping in mind the city always has development on their mind. But I'm hoping that we see development and green space through the same lens. Hashtag cleaning and greening. I like that. (laughs) Um, And you mentioned the effects of redlining. Can you talk a little bit more about how redlining contributes to environmental issues that disproportionately face African-Americans? I think it could best be reflected in the words of the late Mayor Carl Stokes, who during his administration described how you cannot separate urban issues from environmental issues. They're one and the same. When you're trying to rid a community from rats or air pollution or any number of things, that is also about revitalizing the neighborhood. It's also about housing. It's also about transportation, what people eat. So you cannot divorce the natural and the built environment from each other, nor can you separate quality of life from environmental issues. How we breathe, where we live, what we consume, all is about the environment. So, Jackie, with your work, you're privy to a lot of the environmental issues that are facing Cleveland in particular. And I know that lead poisoning has been a very hot topic um, in the last few years. What are some of the other pressing issues that you think are facing Cleveland from your perspective? So, Jen, in reality, we have always been under siege in terms of the environment. Anytime you live in a town where there are a number of manufacturing facilities, you're under siege because they release toxins in the air. They release toxins in the water. I mean, it has been documented over decades, the dangers that we face because we're a manufacturing town and we're not the only ones. So the effort to rid the community of toxins is not just lead, it's arsenic. It shows up in the ground, it shows up in our water, it shows up in the air where it's with us. So, yes, lead is has more attention now, but the lead issue has been around a long time. We're fortunate now that our awareness has been raised, our consciousness has been raised, and we really have to be about solutions and not pitting jobs versus our health or trying to close a company, but they have to be a good neighbor. We had good neighbor agreements decades ago where companies admitted that maybe the chemicals that they use were making their workers sick or was making the community sick. So how do you replace those things with healthier options so you can continue to employ people but not make them sick? And conversely, you know, we've made a lot of strides with the Cuyahoga River, and it was really great to see all the hoopla and celebration around that with the Cuyahoga 50 this year. So where else do you think we've made strides in Cleveland? I just think in general, the quality of life in some places has gotten better. The strides, I think, has become from our awareness, where we're challenged, and I use the word challenged, is adjusting our policies so we have we can be more nimble about decisions that we need to make in neighborhoods that have been disinvested. So I'll give you an example. 
there is, of course, an awareness that Cleveland is a very poor community. So, of course, our focus is on how do we bring more dollars and resources to the community. But at the same time, we have to make sure we're clean and green because that attracts people. People want to go to parks. They don't want to look at debris on the ground. They want to be in a place that feeds their spirit as well as their pocket. And that's where Cleveland can make better strides in creating green space where there is none, where we have vacant lots that get cut twice a year sometimes. There's debris. Teaching folks how to care for the land where they haven't had that opportunity. It's not just cutting grass. It's how do you grow a tree? So now we have tree steward training so people can understand how to plant and care for trees. Trees help our breathing. They're good for lots of things, but certainly for our health. So Jackie, I'm going to ask you, since you're the expert, (laughs) what's your favorite green space or park to spend time in in Cleveland? I have so many. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I live in greater Cleveland. I live in East Cleveland. So I'm right across the street from Forest Hills Park. And then I love the waterfalls in Slavic Village. There are just, oh, my goodness. I'm a little too embarrassed to admit I didn't know there were waterfalls in Slavic Village. <laughs> it's the tallest waterfalls in the state, I believe. So right where Werner... And Broadway Meat is where you can find the Mill Creek Falls. Just in the neighborhood near Mill Creek, there are the Mill Creek Falls. I saw them when the area was not developed very well, when it was just dirt. (laughs) And then I saw after they put a little park in around it, and there's a platform. You got to go see it, Jen. It just is breathtaking. That's going to happen. It's breathtaking. <laughs> and of course, being down on the lake and the park space around the lake, it just revives you. And you talked about the importance of awareness. And I know you've devoted the last several years to bringing more awareness to the fact that there are not enough people of color represented in the environmental movement in a leadership space. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your work with Black environmental leaders and what the impetus was for forming that organization. Three years ago, Toledo, Detroit, and Cleveland were invited individually as cities to participate in what we call Chat and Choose, hosted by the National Wildlife Federation and the Alliance for Great Lakes, curious about how people of color viewed water and water-related issues. When they spoke with the folks in Toledo, they had a captive audience. When they spoke with the folks in Detroit, captive audience. There was not a connected group in Cleveland to have this conversation with. So when we all got the invitations and we suggested people that could come to the table and have this conversation, we fell in love. We saw that there was some really positive synergy between folks who were the only person of color per organization or doing entrepreneurial work pretty much on their own as well. So we began to meet monthly as best we could and have really good conversations about our work, 
about the isolation of the work, about policy that has not been teased out so that we can do our work in a different way. So last year, we started working on our strategic plan. We got support for that. And then this year, we were able to get a small grant so that we can begin to get marketing materials, to even let people know who we are, to develop our website, that kind of thing. So Black Environmental Leaders is now on the scene, but we've been planning for three years now. And I believe there were 14 organizations that initially came together. So what were some of the organizations that were represented within Black environmental leaders? So obviously the Western Reserve Land Conservancy, the Sierra Club, the Alliance for Great Lakes, Environmental Health Watch, the NAACP. There are a couple of people that have their own groups that contribute to a lot to the work. We have architects. We have Riddall is the urban farm. Everybody knows and loves Riddall. They have an urban farm, of course, in um, what we call the Forgotten Triangle. So groups like that that have been doing tremendous work, even a young Ph.D. who works at the Sweatland Center, in the Department of Medicine at Case Western Reserve. She is also a part of the Sweatland Center, is dedicated to uh, environmental health, and she is also a part of our group. Just a very, very, and of course, our community leaders who pick up paper off the ground, who do work on lead, because it covers a spectrum of environmental issues. And when we talked offline, you gave me a lot of historical context as to why there has been such a dearth of diversity in the environmental movement. So can you share that with our listeners? First of all, those who, like Dr. Robert Bullard, who we call the father of environmental justice, environmental injustice exists where people of color or poor people are disproportionately affected by environmental issues, like having housing and manufacturing right next to each other or a school right next to a dump. You know, those particular places that are disinvested or redlined is how we've gotten exposed. In the 1940s, Black folks were pushed out of the National Park Service. We were park rangers. We did all of that kind of work. But systematically, we were pushed out of those jobs. So you won't see a lot of us in park service because we historically have been pushed out. As well, you don't see a lot of people of color majoring in environmental studies or zoologies, those majors that you see a lot of other folks doing because we have not been exposed. We've been cornered out of those areas. So our work is about exposing our young people who have scientific minds, who are curious about the outdoors, who are our future chemists, who can do this work and lead this work. So we have to start to plant the seeds with them while they're young and nurture their curiosity about the environment so they will step into those positions as adults. And what are some of the ways, I know the group is still taking shape, but what are some of the ways that 
Black environmental leaders is actively working to restore that presence for people of color? Through partnership. So to give you an example, we did a launch this summer at Wait Over Wednesday. Those are wonderful gatherings. The music is fabulous on Wednesday nights. That gave us an opportunity to meet the public. So there were folks that came by our booth who taught school, who are involved with youth groups, so that we could start to develop and send people. Because, again, our wealth is in our membership, not so much as an organization, but because of the fact we have individuals in our group that are doing very powerful things. So we do exchanges. So one of our members, she's a researcher. So one of the organizations that's within our group needed someone to do research on the relationship between trees and our health. So those are the ways. And we're just starting to do this. There's a Boys and Girls Club in Buckeye. And they have been to Flint, Michigan, I think they took their fifth visit, and they bring water to the Boys and Girls Club in Flint. Certainly, that's a group, Mr. Earl and his young people, that's a group that we want to expose to more environmental work because they get it. They see the need. There's lots of examples, but I didn't want to keep going on in that. (laughs) So you, you mentioned that you're getting grant funding. Where is the grant being obtained from, and what will that enable you to do with Black environmental leaders? Gun Foundation was attracted to our work, and they support environmental work. They recognize that the education of our residents is crucial to involvement in environment. So we want the residents to speak for themselves on what they view as the issues that are impacting. Have you ever smelled an asphalt lot when it's hot? That deals with climate because, of course, we're warming up as a world. The world is warming up. But for residents to say, that's my issue. I don't want to continue to be exposed to that smell. The quality of air and the relationship between asthma and air quality, the relationship between not having enough trees in the neighborhood and your level of stress. So we examine how people, the residents can say, this is how we feel. These are our health issues. These are our economic issues. Because, of course, there are green jobs. There are jobs that can be created once you have a clear picture of what the plan is. So guns is supporting us and developing a plan that puts the residents first and they name the issues and we create our plan of action based on their voices. Have you identified the parts of Cleveland where you would start? Well, actually, it's got to be on the east side of Cleveland where we see a concentration of African-Americans. But Black folks live all over Cleveland. So, in fact, the Sierra Club hosted a conversation last year between residents in Garden Valley and residents on the west side. And they were all saying the same thing. So what does that tell you? Everybody needs to be educated. 
Everybody wants to do something different for the environment. But unless you have people that look like you explaining that to you, you often don't get it. This past September, the Environmental Health Watch hosted a Fresh Festival, and that gave young people and not-so-young people the opportunity to come together to celebrate music and to celebrate green. And it was fabulous. Are there other events coming up or other initiatives where people can get involved or support the work that's happening? I just want folks to pay attention, and I'm sure that there will be Facebook postings, postings on our website about our activities. We certainly know last year the Climate Action Plan was unveiled, and the how you initiate and put into real action that climate action piece is what we're looking forward to doing, as well as that listening campaign with the residents. But right now in October, no, I can't say we honestly have any activities going on, but in 2020, I'm sure we will. And when you think about your goals for Black environmental leaders, what would you say you know, are your top objectives heading into your fourth year? Wow. I would have to say that raising the awareness and consciousness of people of color about ways that we already have involved ourselves in the environment and other ways that we can do that, activating a workforce that can help plant trees and care for vacant lots, sharing with our young people the opportunities, career opportunities, and ways that they can get involved in the environment. I'll give you an example of a 2020 project. So we have been working with a gentleman who owns a business that's been around 40 years at 117th and Kinsman in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. Uh, He owns the land. There was a sewer district project The sewer district is very much about the work of diverting stormwater from our sewer system. We've got stormwater, sewage that always needs to be separated. So the greening of that space and making that space more community-friendly has been our goal. We have great plans, all this stuff. So there has never been, this is one of the busiest intersections in Cleveland, there has never been a bus shelter at that intersection. It's always been a stop, and they stand under the awning. Next year, there will be a bus shelter because we partnered with RTA. There will be a bus shelter there, and there will also be an air quality monitor on top of that bus shelter. There will be benches one day where people can rest. When you live on 117th, you've always cut across that vacant lot where that lot will be green now. It's green now, but we're going to put in more flowers and trees and benches to make it more of a community space. And that shelter will be there monitoring the air. We want to partner with the young people at John Adams High School up the street so they have some awareness of what we mean by air quality, what we mean by air. Why is it important to divert 
storm water from the system? Why is it important for that water to soak into the ground? That's what we need to teach. I think it's really cool that you're bringing about that awareness and just putting thought-provoking material in people's everyday patterns. Yes. Folks are starving for information. The more information you have, the stronger your ability to change your circumstances. When you don't have good information, you can't change your circumstances. The more you know, the more you grow. That's right. (laughs) Well, on that note, what is your website? How can people learn more about Black environmental leaders or get in touch with you? The website is www.be-leaders. B-E-leaders and B-A leader. Yes, <laughs> That's yes, what it's all about. <laughs> yes, and that's dot org. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jackie, thank you so much for your time today. I think what you're doing is incredibly inspiring, and I can't wait to see how Cleveland continues to progress and incorporate all of its people in making this a more eco-friendly place. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Freshwater Cleveland's Fresh Faces podcast, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineers Dave Douglas and Sean Rule Hoffman. You can get more Freshwater Cleveland by subscribing to our weekly newsletter at freshwatercleveland.com or find us on social media on Facebook and on Twitter at Freshwater CLE. We'll see you next time. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.